Blog Talk Radio. Enter the zone. The Prophecy Zone. Your end time watchman. Bringing you light in a dark world. Where truth is rivaled with a lie. And the matrix is normal life. Luke 21. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars. And upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. You are now in the zone. So be ready to enter the light or truth about the end of days. So you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. You are in the zone. The prophecy zone. So join us for the next hour as we look at world events in line with Bible prophecy. So you'll be informed and be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Hello everybody, this is Brenda Johnson. I am the host of As the Day Approaches. I want to welcome you to this episode of my program, and I have a lot to share with you today. As I was preparing this program, I think that I'm going to have to break it into two parts. Uh, As I was putting together the information that is very helpful to understanding the situation in the Middle East, uh, I found that it was important to actually uh, combine the uh, Syria, Egypt, and uh, Libya situation with the uh, upcoming UN vote in uh, the Palestinian-Israeli Uh, situation in the Middle East. I believe these are connected. I believe that it is very difficult to separate them due to the fact that they are um, part of the Middle East and the whole um, uh, situation with uh, Islam, Palestine, the the Muslim Brotherhood, and the other issues that surround it. So, Further ado, let's get going on this particular show. Uh, We are doing a show today on dividing the land in Jerusalem this month. I I thought I heard today was the day that this vote was taking place, but I am mistaken. Now I'm hearing the 20th, but we're saying September sometime. And as I do research on the time and the date of this, I... I haven't found the exact day um, that this is going to take place. So uh, hopefully by next week I will get you those details as they come forth. So uh, I'm going to take you, first of all, to um, this situation in uh, Libya, the rebels and Egypt. I've talked about this before in one of my programs when I've talked about Islam But it's very hard to talk about the Middle East without talking about Islam. It's hard to talk about Israel without talking about Islam. So um, that is why I'm continuing to talk about this subject and combine it with my series on Israel. 
Um, I will be updating you on what's happening in the Middle East. I will be uh, um, asking questions. Who are the rebels? Um, who is the one that threw out, uh, what group was it that threw out Muammar Gaddafi's regime? Um, is there any connection between the downfall of Hosni Mubarak and the attempt to oust Syrian President Bashar al-Assad? Now, does any of this connect with Palestine um, and the uprisings we see there, the terrorism? Um, we're going to ask the question of how. Uh, now, Palestinians are claiming that Israel is occupying Jerusalem. It's a question that we are being asked today. We are being uh, told that Israel is occupying Jerusalem. What do you think about that? Uh, should Israel give up land uh, gained in the 1967 war in exchange for peace? Should they go back to the borders before um, uh, the war in 1967? Uh, what is this UN vote? What exactly are they going to be talking about? What, what exactly are they going to be doing? Who's going to be voting? Who is going to be allowed to take part in this discussion? And does it really matter? Does it matter to Bible prophecy? Does it matter to our lives? Does it matter to uh, the world at hand? Uh, why are we putting so much focus on this? Uh, now, does Israel have an obligation to divide Jerusalem with the Palestinians? And if they agree to divide Jerusalem, what will happen? I hope to answer some of these questions in these two parts. Um, so some of them will be answered today, hopefully. Some, I'm hoping that today I will give you a lot of insight to this struggle in this area and just kind of put things together and formulate some kind of Bible prophecy um, connection with all that's going on. So we're going to talk about who the rebels are in Egypt. I'm going to give you a little bit of histories. We know that it is the Muslim Brotherhood who was overthrowing Hosni Mubarak. A lot of people said, oh, no, the Muslim Brotherhood was not taking part in that. But we know today because now the brother, uh, Muslim Brotherhood is rising up. Some people don't really know um, who the Muslim Brotherhood is. And uh, a lot of my shows, I, I went into that in one of my Islamic shows in one of my episodes. So if you want to go back in the archives and take a look at what I talk about in the Muslim Brotherhood, you can do that. So I'm not going to be detailed about that in particular. But what I want to focus on today is uh, the where the religious belief is set sits in the, the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood actually was birthed out of a form of, of Islam called Wahhabism. Wahhabism, uh, it's spelled W-A-H-H-A-B-I-S-M, and it's spelled in different ways, uh, sometimes with one H, two Bs, this is, you know, a variety of spellings to that. It is named after Muhammad ibn Abd al-Wahhab. He lived between 1703 and 1792. 
It is a fundamentalist Sunni form of Islam and has become an object of increased interest because it is the major sect of the government and society of oil-rich Saudi Arabia. Gives you a clue there. Wahhabism is an offending synonym uh, for one form of Salafism. Salafism. I don't know if I'm saying it right. S-A-L-A-S-I-S-M. Now, some of the late scholars of Wahhabism declared that bin Laden, Osama bin Laden, uh, to be a Khawarij and thus not belonging to Salafi methodology because he is said to be part of the Wahhabism. Uh, he was actually taught by one of the great scholars uh, in Saudi Arabia of Wahhabism. But there's different sects within the Wahhabism form of Islam. I'm going to give you a little idea about this particular uh, part of Islam. Some traditional Sunni scholars claim that Osama bin Laden is from the Qutbist branch of Salafism and not the Wahhabi branch. But there's a lot of debate on this. But I wanted to kind of connect them to see where um, Osama bin Laden was connected. Of course, you know, he is no longer a part of this uh, plan, but he is not the only one. He is not. He was. He was taught by scholars and teachers who are still teaching, who are still uh, uh, mentoring people, um, uh, students in the same thing that Ma, uh, Osama bin Laden was um, mentored in. So, the early history of Wahhabism in Saudi Arabia began with a surge of reformers seeking to reclaim Orthodox Islam from innovation by various sects of Sunni Muslims. In the 18th century, it spread uh, in Najd along with the expansion of the first Saudi state under Muhammad bin Saad and his successors. Wahhabism is the official form of Islam in Saudi Arabia, in 1924, the Wahhabi al-Sahad dynasty conquered Mecca and Medina, cities holy to Muslims, creating the Saudi state. The spread of Wahhabi Islam has been facilitated by Saudi oil revenues. Now, Saudi lay people, um, government officials, and clerics have donated many tens of millions of dollars to create Wahhabi oriented religious schools, newspapers, and outreach organizations. Some Wahhabis believe that many Muslim Brotherhood scholars, Sayyid Qutb and Yusuf al-Kawadawi, very famous uh, scholars um, in the Muslim Brotherhood, are sometimes cited. Um, and Sometimes they feel that this is corrupted due to innovations in Islam, and they're called a revolution and rebellion against the rulers of Muslim countries. Now, if you understand this, they are in rebellion of Muslim countries that uh, declare, uh, that actually uh, pander to the West, to ideals uh, that are not um, Wahhabi or not according to the Quran or the fundamental um, statements of the Hadith and the Quran Islam and their call to revolution and rebellion against these Muslim countries is a strong part of Wahhabism um, 
Well, hobbies been pictures, photographs, musical instruments, singing, videos, suicide bombings. Uh, yet they have they don't consider suicide bombings in the cause of Islam really suicide bombings. They they call it martyrdom, which they kind of twist it a little bit to uh, make it sound that it's not suicide. So it's kind of semantics when they talk about that. Um, Let's see. What else can I tell you about this particular uh, sect of Islam? Many contend that Wahhabism is or has become a dominant form of Islam through proselytization, that is, sharing uh, the message of Islam. They also call that Dawah Islam, and it's driven by Saudi funding. Others contend that it is, its influence is less widespread and that the practice and observance of Wahhabism and the political manifestations that flow there from, are from more nuanced um doctrinated a doctrinaire doctrinal uh interpretations what am i saying when i say that is that it is um uh some of it has how do i explain that uh the the wahhabi theology advocates a fundamentalist and legalistic stance in matters of faith and religious practice. And uh, when it goes into politics, it actually, they cannot separate political from their faith. And so their politics is motivated by what they believe in their faith. And some think that that is the way it's appearing more so than in just sharing uh, the message of Islam. That's the difference right there. Wahhabism traces its origins and uh, and call all the way back to the Prophet Muhammad and his companions. And they see the role as a movement to restore Islam from what they perceive to be innovations, superstitions, deviances, heresies, and idolatries. During the time of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, the creator of this particular sect, whose prominence gave name to the movement, there were many practices that they believed were contrary to Islam, such as invoking any prophet, saint, or angel in praying, other than Allah alone, polytheism, grave worship, whether to saints' graves or the prophet's graves, celebrating annual feasts for dead saints, wearing of charms and believing in their healing power, practicing magic or going to sorcerers or witches seeking healing, innovation in matters of religion, for example, new methods of worship, and erecting elaborate monuments over graves. They actually um, lit a grave on fire of one of the caliphs, uh, mother of the mother, and lit that grave on fire, decimated the grave so that people would not worship it. So, Sounds kind of good. Sounds kind of, you know, uh, uh, pure. But there, there is a, a vicious part of this particular uh, sect that 
is taking hold, and that is the terrorism. The uh, opponents argue that these practices have adequate proofs from the Quran and the Sunnah and have been accepted by Sunni scholars since the early days of Islam. They also see grave worship as intermediatism and claim this is accepted and called for for practice in Islam. So they actually um, <clears throat> say these things, but there are certain things that they continue, like the Hajj and uh, the Kaaba. They don't say anything about the Kaaba, but there are some prophecies in the Hadith about um, some of these places getting destroyed uh, in the last days, their eschatology in their prophetic uh, scripts that tell them what is coming. Now, there is something that is coming in the last days uh, called the Black Flags from Chorazin. And, it, and there is a hadith that says, if you see the black flags coming from Khorasan, join that army even if you have to crawl over ice, for that is the army of the Imam al-Mahdi, and no one can stop that army until it reaches Jerusalem. Did you hear what that said? This is a prophecy in one of their hadiths about the coming of the al-Mahdi and uh, about an army with black flags. Now, the army of black flags is being seen all over the place. The Muslim Brotherhood has adopted the uh, symbol of the black flags as well, and it is coming from Khorasan, uh, which is in the time of the prophet Muhammad included the whole of Afghanistan, northern parts of Pakistan, including Malakadan, the Malakand division, Central Asian states, and part of Iran. Um, still a province in, in northeast of Iran is named Khorasan. So these, this group is supposed to come from uh, this area, and now they have stationed all over the world in all different countries um, this army that is um, training to rebel against governments who actually do not follow the standard of the Quran. This is what we saw in Egypt because um, Hosni Mubarak was favorable to Israel. Hosni Mubarak pandered to the West. Hosni Mubarak loved his power and that is not part of uh, a true Islamic leader. They're supposed to actually lead the way for the al-Mahdi or the new caliphate to establish that. And when you do that, that means that you have to give up power to one leader, one leader over all of Islam that will rule. And Hosni Mubarak liked ruling. So Muslim Brotherhood assassinated many of the leaders um, in Egypt. Uh, the, the leader that was before Hosni Mubarak was assassinated by the Muslim Brotherhood and Hosni Mubarak was sitting right there next to them when he was 
assassinated. So he chose to step down instead of be killed because he knew that his head was next. And that's how he chose to end his reign. Libya, of course, I've said this before, Gaddafi um, is not Hosni Mubarak, and he was not going to step down. But he is a dictator, and he loved his power. He loved elegance. He was not pandering to the West, yet he played both roles. He was uh, silent on a lot of things so he could keep his power, um, yet he was uh, favorable to Islam to a point, but not fully engaged in uh, the establishment of the the caliph. He actually did not believe in the establishment of the caliphate. So the rebels that we have been supporting, the United States, I am part of the United States, have been supporting are the very uh, rebels that stood up to Hosni Mubarak. And we have turned our eyes away from the fact that this is actually the Muslim Brotherhood and the form of uh, radical Islamic jihadists of Wahhabism, and there are several other sects that are taking on this same cause. But this is the same form. Now, we, you know, step out and we go, well, gee, um, what about Syria? Syria has a whole new dynamic. It's not that much different, but there is some differences with Syria according to the prophecies of uh, Islam. They actually have specific prophecies. Now, before I go into that, let me explain a little bit about these flags because you might be seeing these more often. Uh, the flags of Islam that uh, you might see from time to time, one will be white with black writing and one will be black with white writing. One flag is for jihad and the other flag is the flag of the state. One is a flag of war, and the other is a state flag. On it contains the Shahada, the creed of Islam. The Islamic Caliphate was the state which existed from the time of the Prophet Muhammad until 1924 when it was dismantled by Mustafa Kemal. It is more well known in English texts as the Caliphate, but the actual Arabic term is Caliphate which is spelled K-H-I-L-A-F-A-H. One was carried into battle and the other was reserved for state purposes. And the one flag that um, is considered going into battle is the black flag. And that is uh, actually fulfilling some of the prophecies that is talked about long ago in the time of Muhammad about the, the arrival of the black flag. Uh, flag. I see that I have a caller, and if you can wait there for a little bit, I'm going to get through this part, and then if you have something that has to do with this, you can uh, join me. So hang on a moment as I continue to uh, share about Syria, and then you can uh, fill in if you'd like to do that before we go any further. The Mahdi, also known as the 12th Imam, and the Islamic Messiah will appear as the last caliphate 
and will rule not only the Muslim world but all of mankind. Anyone who does not receive the Mahdi willingly will be given the opportunity through force and threats of death to save his life. One will ha have to accept the Mahdi and a mark of allegiance to him or die. Uh, they, will be behead, they will behead anyone who does not accept the Mahdi. Now, let's, let's talk about Syria just for a second. <coughs> Excuse me. I have a cold, so if I have to uh, pause for a moment, then uh, that's why. So, uh, Syria, there is a hadith of Prophet Muhammad about the symbols of the judgment day, that the people with the black flag will rise up from the land of Khorasan to fight against Kurfar alliances in the final war of Armageddon. Geographically, Syria is a land of great diversity that includes coastline, mountainous areas, steep, and desert. Geographically, we all know this because it's been on the uh, news quite often, Syria can be divided into four regions. A narrow fertile coastline, coastal plain runs along the Mediterranean border and extends inland to a narrow range of mountains and hills. The coastal climate is moderate with hot, dry summers and mild, wet winters. This, the average annual rainfall is in this area is between 30 and 40 inches. The mountainous regions run from north to south, parallel to the Mediterranean Sea. Kind of give you an idea of what uh, we're looking at as far as the land. The interior from the north to the south, um, the interior Ceramid Plains region is found in the east of the mountains. Much of the southeastern part of Syria is desert region and extends to the borders of the Jordan and Iraq. Most of the desert is a rock and gravel plateau that receives less than four inches of rain annually and is, is extremely hot. <clears throat> what they pro prophesy here in, in, in Syria, and this helps you to understand uh, why Syria is kind of uh, in a, a different kind of situation. It's not totally different, but it is a little bit different. In their prophecy, it says that, that uh, Syria will make a firm truce, truce with Christians, and they're called that Al-Ram, until uh, Syria makes, will wage a campaign against an enemy that is attacking them. It says, you, Syria, will be granted victory and great spoils. Then you will alight in a plain surrounded by hills. There, someone among Christians shall say, cross has a, the cross has overcome, whereupon someone among the Muslims shall say, Nay, Allah has overcome, and so shall, shall go and break the cross. The Christians shall, shall kill him, then Muslims shall take up their arms, and the two sides shall fall upon each other. So what is this saying? It's saying, if you understand Syria right now, Syria is actually um, befriending um, Christians. They say that um, Christian and Muslim can't really be um, a true Muslim without accepting Jesus. Now, Jesus is part of Islam, but it is a different Jesus than that as described in the Bible. Uh, there are similarities to this Jesus, but 
in Islamic eschatology, uh, this Jesus will actually be one who will um, help behead those who do not believe in Islam. So he is quite different in Islam um, when you come down to eschatology. So, But right now, Christians and in, in Muslims in Syria are befriending one another. Now, Allah should grant martyrdom to that group of Muslims that fight with these Christians. After that, the Christians shall say to their leader, we shall relieve you of the Arabs, and they shall gather up for the great battle, Al-Mahama. They shall come to you under 80 flags, each flag gathering 12,000 troops. That's approximately 1 million. <laughs> and that was a narration that was actually from one of the um, hadiths explaining that. Now, another hadith says this. Um, this is from the Muslim book, number 40, number 6924, says this. The last hour will not come until the Romans land at Al-Amakar or in Babik, north of Aleppo, a city in northern Syria. An army consisting of the best soldiers of the people on earth at that time will come from Medina to oppose them. When they arrange themselves in ranks, the Romans will say, do not stand between us and those Muslims who took prisoner from among us. Let us fight them. The Muslims will say, nay, by Allah, we shall never turn aside from you and from our brethren so that you may fight them. They will then fight a third part of the army whom Allah will never forgive that will run away. A third part of the army which will be constituted of excellent martyrs in Allah's eyes would be killed. The third who will never be put on trial will win and they will be the conquerors of Constantinople and or slash Rome. As they are busy in disturbing the spoils of war, distributing the spoils of war amongst themselves, after hanging their swords by the olive trees, Satan will cry, the Dajjal has taken your place among your families. They will then come out, but it will be of no avail. When they reach Syria, he will come out while they are still preparing themselves for battle, drawing up the ranks. Certainly the time of prayer will come. And then Esau, which is Jesus, son of Miriam, which is Mary, descends and will lead them in prayer. When the enemy of Allah sees him, it will disappear just as salt dissolves in water. And if he, Esau, were not to confront them at all, even then it would dissolve completely. Allah would kill them by his hand and he would show them their blood on his lance. This is a prophecy regarding Syria. A great battle is going to happen here in Syria. So what is happening right now? Is this that battle? Well, actually, I believe personally that this battle in Syria is actually just part of what is happening in Egypt and Libya, where they are actually ousting those particular rulers who want to dictate. I'm not sure that it's actually that time 
in the scenario of of the Islamic eschatology to do this because um, it it kind of shows itself differently uh, than what some of the prophecies. And I only read you a couple of them. Um, so I will read you some of them. You know, share with you some of the the signs of the last days. I have a list here that I want to uh, read from, so that you can see it exactly how it is. This is off of uh, a website called Islam dot org. Al Mahdi Major Signs dot htm. So if you want to look at this uh, and have a copy of it you can actually go to that site, islam.org, Al-Mahdi Major Signs. You can just Google that and, and it will bring this up. But I want to give you an idea of how involved Syria is in the, the Islamic eschatology. And right now, it, those who are following the uh, Quran, those who are having a revival as far as going back to the original uh, creeds of Islam in the Quran and, and the Hadith are excited that they are actually um, being able to to uh, see prophecy come to pass right before their eyes and that they get to participate in bringing about this prophecy. Okay, so here are some of the signs. <clears throat> The occurrence before the major signs. Now, now there are minor and major signs as far as uh, the coming of the Mahdi, and I'm not going to go into all of those minor major signs, but we're going to focus on some of these signs because uh, they're um, focused on Syria. A man from uh, Abu Safayan massacres descendants of Nabi, S-A-W, and rules over Syria and Egypt. Do you hear that? A man from a certain progeny, meaning from a, a certain descendant, massacres descendants of another family group and rules over Syria and Egypt. So what are you seeing with Egypt, Libya, and with uh, Syria? Istanbul conquered by Christians. Uh, the enemy, half of the Christian army, conquers Constantinople, Istanbul, and Turkey, and that has happened. In the, the, one of the uh, major signs of the last day is Istanbul reconquered jointly by Muslim and Christians. The Muslims and the good half of the Christian army conquer Constantinople together against the enemy Christians. Thereafter, a Christian will say the victory was due to the cross and the Muslim will say it was due to Islam. A battle between both sides will ensue, and the Muslim ruler will be martyred. Take that as you see it. Uh, right now, Constantinople has a, a conflict between Christianity and Islam. They're actually trying to live together right now, and um, they they are going to have some difficulty according to their prophecies. Syria um, 
the two Christian armies reunite, conquering Syria. Christians dominate the world up into the Kabir near Madina, and they will pursue Muslims with 80 flags, with 12,000 men under each flag. Now, it's interesting that it's talking about Christian domination. Now, in waiting for the Mahdi, this is some of the signs. Total eclipse. A total eclipse of the sun and the moon will occur in Ramadan prior to the Imam Mahdi's emergence. Imam Mahdi emerges at the age of 40. Imam Mahdi appears in Mecca and then flees to Medina. Um, some of the major signs of the events after the emergence of the Imam Mahdi will be this. Uh, and we, you know, a lot of us don't even know this, but this is, you know, what Islam is actually interpreting of these events. These events are very important to see from the perspective and the perception of the Islamic people. So they are, you know, what they think about it is very important because they're going to be motivated by what they believe. It's not what we assess from the situation. It's what we hear them assess of the situation. The army of the Mansur from Khorasan will lead, will head towards Mecca to aid Imam Mahdi, and he will win many battles on the way. No force will be able to stop them, and they will carry black flags. The Sufani army, an anti-Muslim force from Syria, singles out Imam Mahdi for execution. On the way to Mecca, they get swallowed into, into the ground. A second Sufayani army is created with 960,000 men of 80 nations. Imam Mahdi and the Muslim army go to Syria to confront the Christians. The Christians, before the battle, will ask Muslims for the return of their prisoners of war. The Muslims will refuse. The battle will begin. One-third of Imam Mahdi's army will flee. Their repentance will not be accepted. One-third will be martyred, and one-third will gain victory over the Christians. Now, uh, <clears throat> this is eschatology. This is what they say is still to happen. This has not happened yet according to Islamic eschatology. Al-Jamat of Muslims wages jihad on India and, is, and will be successful. Imam Mahdi returns to Syria and establishes Muslim rule over the lands he passes. So Syria, in Bible prophecy, is going to be destroyed by God himself. So, hmm, wonder why we see the Imam Mahdi going to Syria to attack and confront Christians, and the God of the Bible in Revelation is going it has prophecies of the Old Testament going after Syria. Hmm. Kind of gives you an idea, gives you a little bit of insight. At this time, Muslims will be weak, and there will be very few pious people. The Dajjal appears, he's like the Antichrist. His followers, the Yahadis, will number 70,000 and will wear extensive silk attire and carry double-edged swords. Jesus appears, and he de descends during the lifetime of the Imam Mahdi. 
<clears throat> the Dajjal is killed at the gate of HUD, um, at the gate of HUD near the Israeli airport port in the Valley of Sikh. The final war between the Yahudas will ensue and the Muslims will be victorious. So here we got Israel involved in this. And so the Dajjal, the Antichrist, is going to actually, according to Islam, be killed in Israel. Hmm. Near the Israeli airport, which the only airport in Israel is uh, Haifa. In Haifa. If I said that right. Um, <clears throat> There's only one airport in Israel. With the death of the Dajjal, all wars will end. Jihad will be stopped. Peace, harmony, and tranquility will be on earth. The earth will produce abundant crops and fruit. The people will follow Islam. The revelation tells that the Yajul and the Maju will soon be released and the believers should be taken to Mount Tur or Sinai. When they reach Mount Carmen in Jerusalem, they will proclaim to have conquered the world. Then they will shoot arrows into the sky to conquer the heavens. The arrows will return blood-stained. Um, and so you kind of get the idea of some of these signs. There's several other signs, but I could go on and on with some of these signs. But you kind of get the idea um, from that Syria has some kind of plan in it, and so does um, so does Israel. Now, some of the final signs would be one: the cavings of the ground. The ground will cave in. One in the east, one in the west, and one in Hezja, Saudi Arabia. The 40 days smoke and fog, fog or smoke will cover the skies for 40 days. The non-believers will fall unconscious while Muslims will be ill and develop colds. The skies will then clear up. The night of three nights, a night uh, three nights long will follow the fog. It will occur in the month of Zilhaj and Adul Adha and cause much restlessness among people. The rising of the sun in the west after the night of three the night of three nights, the following morning the sun will rise in the west. People's repentance will not be accepted after this incident. The beast from the earth appears. One day later the beast from the earth will miraculously emerge from Mount Safa in Mecca, causing a split in the ground. The beast will be able to talk to people and mark the faces of people making the believers face glitter and the non believers face faces darkened. The breeze from the south, a breeze from the south causes sores in the armpits of Muslims, which they will die of as a result. The Kaaba will be destroyed by non-Muslim African group. Kurfer will be rampant. Hajj will be discontinued. The Quran will be lifted from the heart of the people. Thirty years after the rule of Makad, Makad's death, and the final sign of the Kumya fire in Yemen. The fire will follow people to Syria, after which it, it will be stopped. Okay, so that is some of the signs uh, regarding Syria and Egypt. Hello, caller. You're on the air. May I help? 
uh, how can, what would you like to say? Uh, that didn't work. Trying to get you online. Sorry, I'm trying to answer this phone. And I'm not seeing how I can get them to, to get online. So I'm trying to get you on the air. You're on the air. I guess this is not working. Unless I'm not doing it right. You're on the air. May I help you? Okay, well, I don't know how to answer this phone call. It's not working for some reason. So, caller, I'm really sorry. I don't know how to pick you up here. Okay, well, I'm going to go back to my show. I'm sorry that I I really need to work on trying to know how to answer these. I don't know if it's... uh, if it is um, Blog Talk Radio, because I'm trying to get the caller on the on the phone, but it's not working. So it says it is, but it really isn't. So forgive me, caller, who's trying to call uh, and talk. So okay, well, I'm going to continue with the show. So. We we have a lot of information, uh, a lot of things to talk about. So, so this brings us to Israel. What is what is actually happening in Israel? Okay, what is really happening in Israel? What does God, the God of Israel, say say about what is happening? What is Let's kind of launch into this conversation about um, the parting of the land. I have read a couple books regarding this, which are very good that I will suggest to you. One is The Fight for Jerusalem by Dor, Dor Gold. It's called Radical Islam, the West, and the Future of the Holy City. And this is an ex- excellent book if you want to really understand about uh, what is uh, taking place in in. Uh, the Middle East right now regarding the land and uh, the 1967 partitions and all that. He was, uh, this book was published in, uh, let me see here, 2007, so it's fairly new, it's a few years old, and uh, Robert Smith, Jerusalem Rushing Toward the Midnight Hour. I mentioned these last time on one of my shows, but as a launching point for this discussion, I am going to use uh, Jerusalem Rushing Towards the Midnight Hour by Robert Smith as a as a launching point. In his chapter, uh, Chapter 5, Parting the Land, it's excellent, excellent review, and I'm going to share a lot of that information with you today uh, on this show. Hopefully, if I can get through uh, the remainder of my show with with this without any other problems. <clears throat> okay, so um, 
Joel 3, 2, in the King James Version says, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Ezekiel 36, 5, in the NIV says this, Son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The enemy said to you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because they ravaged and hounded you from every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord, of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, to the desolate ruins and the deserted towns that have been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the nations around you. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against my land. Uh, uh, against, uh, wait a minute, (laughs) I lost my burning zeal and I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom for with glee and with malice in their hearts they made my land their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. Now Israel in 1948 was actually a desert place. We all know that who are familiar with Israel when they became a state. Uh, Actually, uh, Israel uh, um, really started to um, come back to the land before that in World War I, 1929. In those areas, those times, there was a lot of uh, Jewish people coming back to the land at that time. What happened in 1947 uh, and 48 after World War II uh, the nations got uh, were uh, compassionate towards the Israeli na- to the Israeli people and actually made what they were already negotiating final in 1948. So uh, during that time, they had made the desert lands of this area bloom, and prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. So. When it says that might plunder is pasture land, it's because it actually, the first time in centuries, has uh, become green and not deserted and and um, <clears throat> not cared for. So the Jews came back to the land and cared for the land. I know October 22nd, 2001, a young Palestinian woman said over Palestinian TV, All we ask is that Arab countries stand by our side, give us weapons, and we, on our own, will kill them, murder them, slaughter them, all of them. We won't spare a single Jew. Over the same TV station and at the same time, there came a call for more terror from Muslim Minister Zahid bin Sultan al-Nayan. His sermon at the mosque in Gaza included these words. The Jews are Jews, whether Labor or Likud. Now, those are two different uh, political parties. One is a uh, 
the Labour Party and the which is a social democratic Zionist party and in the Likud is actually the major right wing political party in Israel. He said the Jews are Jews whether Labour or Likud. They are all liars. Oh brother believers, the criminals, the terrorists are the Jews. They are the ones who must be butchered and killed, as Allah the Almighty said, fight them. Allah will torture them at your hands and will humiliate them and will help you to overcome them and they will will relieve the minds of the believers. We fight in the path of Allah and kill and are killed. The Jews are the allies of the Christians no matter where they are found. Fight them wherever you are, whether you meet them, wherever you meet them, kill them. Kill those Jews and those Americans who are like them. Robert Smith says, these examples of perpetrated hate are only two of thousands of references that are driving the Muslim world against the Jews and all who support them. This kind of hate cannot be rationalized nor censored with or reasoned with and certainly cannot be tolerated in any civil society. Now the question to be addressed, how can such hate be justified and how can religious leaders promote it? Where did it start and where will it end? I will try to answer these questions and show that this is a 4,000-year-old hate clearly prophesied in the Bible to be the menace causing terror in the last days. Now, partitioning of the land has received wide coverage in our news today. We see it uh, constantly. I've seen it for years, for 20 years. Every day the world is on the brink of disaster. And this crisis is all over the land of Israel and the partitioning of the land. At the end of World War II, after the Arabs and Ottoman Empire, which controlled all of the Mideast for 500 years prior to 1919, joined Hitler's cause, Allied troops were given mandate over various parts of the area. Britain who had earlier acted in favor of a Jewish state in the Holy Land and persuaded the League of Nations to mandate the same, was given mandate over Palestine. The area known as Palestine then included what are now the states of Jordan, Lebanon, and Israel. There was no Palestinian state, nor was there a West Bank, in the partitions of the land. The Palestinian state was considered Transjordan, across, which means across the Jordan. West of the Jordan River, although the borders were left a little vague, was generally accepted as mandated to be a Jewish state. When Israel, by UN mandate, was allowed to become a nation in November of 1947 and declared herself an independent nation in May of 1948, seven Arab nations attacked, intending to drive her to the, to the sea and destroy the new nation. When the war of independence was over, Israel has secured all of her borders except those with the state of Transjordan. Transjordan had pressed into the mountainous part of Israel and taken in all taken it all including the city of Jerusalem Jews were immediately killed and driven out of the areas 
synagogues and of holy Jewish and Christian sites were destroyed. Jerusalem and the Temple Mount was occupied, and the Jewish section of Jerusalem on Zion was cut off. So we're talking about, you know, today that the Jewish people are occupying Jerusalem, the West Bank, and and they actually left Gaza, uh, but it was never a Palestinian state to begin with or a possession. It was given to the Jews as their possession. Transjordan changed its name and became simply Jordan at this time, dropping the trans because it intended to possess land on both sides of the Jordan River. That's what their goal was. They were, they didn't want just one half. They wanted all of it. The intentions were to annex the territories on the west side of the Jordan, calling it the West Bank of Jordan. The east side of, of the Jordan River would become simply Jordan. They intended two separate countries all under the King Jordan. Now, such unrest was created over the annex of the West Bank that Jordan decided to drop plans for an annex and in the vacuum left the West Bank in the hands of the revolutionaries. Over the years, Arabs from 29 different Arab countries had moved into the area to take advantage of jobs and an affluent society which had been created by the industry of the Jewish state. So the Jewish state actually created these jobs and the industry. And and all of these um, people from other countries uh, came to this Jewish state because of what the Jewish state provided for them. Before this, a Palestinian was anyone living in Palestine, namely Jews, Arabs, Christians, etc., Therefore, many, if not most, of the leadership of the Palestinians are not native to the land of Israel at all. So even Mr. Yasser Arafat was not a Palestinian. He was an Egyptian-born revolutionary, trained in the former Soviet Union, and sent from the Soviets with their blessing to take advantage of the vacuum in the territories and to destabilize the Jewish state. That was the whole purpose of uh, Yasser Arafat. Now, at the invitation of his cousin Mufti Hag Amin al-Hussein, who was at the time Mufti of Jerusalem, Yasser Arafat came into the picture. He quickly became spokesman for, spokesman for the West Bank, capitalizing upon an already volatile situation and using the power of an old religious animosity between the Jews and the Arabs. He aggravated the smoldering Palestinian rebellion against Israel already boiling under the surface. With a great amount of anti-Israel sentiment in the international institutions, namely Europe and the UN, he simply used the discontent of the immigrant Arabs in the territories to organize the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. Now, in doing so, he has played upon an ancient hat sewn into the Arab populace ever since Ishmael and has 
precipitated an acute hate and disdain for the Jewish state. That hate is now out of control. Out of this this revolution and gendered hate, he has um, come several has come several voluntary volatile terrorist groups more rebellious than their progenitors. In June of 1967, when two Arab states, namely Syria and Egypt, attacked Israel, again intending to destroy the state, Jordan was persuaded to join them. Israel soundly defeated them in what has been called the Six-Day War. The Golan Heights was taken from Syria, the Sinai taken from Egypt, and the West Bank with Jerusalem was taken back from Jordanian occupation. Israel now possesses all of the promised land of prophecy, but the raging nations of the Antichrist, Anti-God, Anti-Israel world are determined to unseat Israel from her holy sites. Because of the foothold gained in the state of Israel by revolutionary factions, of world revolution, Israel has been under constant demand to defend her borders. And this is what we're talking about today, trying to defend her borders. The Western media in the United States, Britain, and Europe conveniently and consistently overlook the true background of the partition problem. And I'm going to show you with the help of... um, Robert Smith, what this is. This is really good information. Hold on just one second. Okay, I'm back. I had to let my puppies outside. Uh, last week I told you I, I had to, to postpone the show because my dog had bees. She's not the one that went outside, but the other two I have wanted to go outside. So I may have to pause again just to let them back in, but uh, I'll pick up where I left off. Now, <clears throat> now never do they, which we're talking about the United States, Britain, and Europe, uh, admit to the fact that the West Bank or territories were actually part of the original partition and mandate, which included every country of the Mideast as we know them today. The UN, under the control of Soviet learning bias and catering, catering heavily toward Arab and Muslim cause, Uh, blackmailed by oral interests, refuses to face its own responsibility for the confusion by not clarifying the borders of the mandate. The Western media, in a propagation of sheer lie, continues to say that Israel is occupying the West Bank. Western political leaders and the UN have conveniently adopted this possession. It is the adoption that is at the heart of the whole problem today. After World War II, the Allies were given a mandate over the Middle East. As we have said, England was given the mandate over Palestine. 
Palestine then included all of what we now know as Jordan and Israel. When the Balfour Proclamation came forth, such an uprising ensued, and Britain quickly divided Palestinian, uh, the Palestinian state into two parts. The East Jordan River was called the Transjordan and was given to the Palestinians, and west of the Jordan River was mandated to the Jews for a homeland for the Jews. So Britain was the first to actually divide Jerusalem. So what we're talking about today is to redivide Jerusalem. Uh, so it has already been divided and gained back in the 1967 war. So, so the borders that is being talked about in the 1967 war is actually giving back uh, to the West Jordan or the Palestinians a place that they had occupied that Britain mandated a split. So. The League of Nations confirmed this arrangement, and later in 1947, the UN also made mandate of the same. Israel's internationally accepted border was the Jordan River. However, the state of Transjordan immediately attacked Israel, pressed into the mountainous part of the state of Israel, and took possession of it, including the old city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Israel just a new nation just a new nation and fighting uh five muslim nations on every side was unable to stop the jordanian army the transjordan annexed the territories and changed her name to jordan and called herself the west bank of jordan and jordan proper so that's what we see today in what is jordan today the the east and the west are now jordan and they actually took over and conquered uh, Jerusalem and the east side. Jordan occupied the West Bank and Jerusalem until 1967. In the Six-Day War, Israel retook the West Bank and Jerusalem and ended the Jordanian occupation. However, the Western media, in a propagation of sheer lie, continues to say that Israel is occupying the West Bank. Western political leaders and the UN have conveniently adopted this position and possession. It is that adoption that is at the heart of the whole problem. Let's look at this whole scenario from a biblical, uh, prophetic perspective. Okay, so what is the West Bank in, in a Bible perspective? It is uh, clearly established in the prophecy of the hundreds of scriptures that God would set a second time <clears throat> to gather his people, Israel, from the four corners of the world. It is also clearly prophesied by scores of scriptures that they would be returned to their borders. It is those borders that are in such conflict today and creating a world crisis of terrorism. There is some debate as to the exact borders of the, of the return. Abraham was promised certain lands which he could view from Bethel. These were promised to Isaac and his seed and were known as the covenant promised land. In addition to Isaac's promise, all of Abraham's seed was promised larger borders which takes in the entire Middle East 
These lands were given to Ishmael and the sons of Keturah, Abraham's wife after the death of Sarah. Joshua never possessed some of the promised land. Now, if you can imagine that, um, I did not put a picture of this, but it actually extends like a uh, more of a triangle than just the the straight up piece of land that we see. Now, David King, David's kingdom set a new concept of borders. There were the borders that became established in the return from Babylon. Then there are the borders of the present return. These must differ from the kingdom promise concerning Israel in the millennium. A full return of the Jews to the land will take place when the present diplomacy of peace agreements break down completely and the armies of the nations will surround Israel. I um, I, I am only going to concern us with the borders now in question, namely the borders of this present return. Following our text uh, that can be clearly identified with the... Um, Um, text of scripture is what I mean, can be clearly identified with the present return of the Jews and the establishment of the state of Israel as we know it today. And I'm going to share some scripture with you. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, promised that Israel would come again to their own border. border. In Jeremiah 31:17, this is what it says. There is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Okay. Now, those borders are also described in Ezekiel 37:25, which says, And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now the whole chapter of Ezekiel 37 is unquestionably concerned with the reestablishment of the state of Israel in our day today. These borders, according to Ezekiel 37.25, are directly comparable to the borders mandated by the Belford Proclamation. I'm sorry, sorry for that interruption. My dogs are having a fit, so I had to go and intervene. Okay. Oh, back to Ezekiel 37, uh, the joy of doing this at home. I thought, you know, my kids are back in school, but now my dogs are actually playing. No. No. I tell them no. They're like my kids, you see. Okay, so Ezekiel 37... Uh, the whole chapter is uh, talking about in our day. 
Now these borders, according to uh, Ezekiel 37:25, are directly comparable to the borders mandated both by the Balfour Proclamation and <clears throat> the League of Nations mandate in 1922 and the UN mandate in 1967. They are the expected borders of Israel today. In Joel 1.6, God complains that a nation has come upon my land. It says, for a nation has come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. This event is dated by verse 15 and is shown to be the day of the Lord, which is at hand. Therein lies the root of all the conflict today and the makings of the very scenario prophesied for the last days. Alas, for the day for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come, Joel one fifteen. In several texts which are concerned with the borders of Israel in the return, the prophetic finger is pointed at Jordan for the cause of Israel's grief and the international pressure upon her to part the land. For instance, Amos one thirteen names Gaza and Lebanon as part as part with Jordan in the transgressions against the borders of Israel. Then it points directly to Jordan Ammon for the transgression of Ammon I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Why? Because they have enlarged their borders. Amos one thirteen says Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with child of, of Gilead, and they, that they might enlarge their border. <clears throat> as, it has, as it has shown, it was Jordan who took the West Bank from the state of Israel in 1947 and then sought to annex it, therefore enlarging their borders. Ezekiel 11.15 speaks of a people, inhabitants of Jerusalem, who would say, while you were away from the land in Diaspora, this land was given to us to possess. These inhabitants relate to today's Palestinians in the Muslim section of Old Jerusalem and in all of the east part of Jerusalem. In the next two verses, God admits he did not did scatter them, but that he would go to them, um, he would be to them a little sanctuary, a limited blessing, and that he would gather them again and and give you the land of Israel is what he says exactly. So we see that these Palestinians, having come to Israel from 29 different countries, are, are the people of the nations who have come upon his land and are the inhabitants of Jerusalem who are saying, while you were driven out of the land, the land has become our inheritance. If Muslims would but read their own book, they would see that they are contrary not only to God's will, but contrary to the teachings of their own acclaimed prophet Muhammad. In the Quran, Surah 5, the tables 
um, called the tables, it clearly states Muhammad's expectations. It teaches, one, that the Holy Land is west of the Jordan. Two, foresees the return of the Jews to this land in the last days. Three, says the land is reserved for the Jews. Four, blesses the Jews in the land. Five, says all the all this would be in the last days. Kind of interesting that the Quran itself in Surah 5 would say these specific things. Now, in, in light of this, we see that parting of the land is contrary even to the Muslim holy book. Ezekiel chapter 34 through 36 are entirely given to the subject of the mountains of Israel. When we do a little homework and outline on a, a topo map, the mountainous areas of the Holy Land or the state of Israel will, will uh, <clears throat> excuse me, one will discover that these mountains of Israel are exactly comparable to the West Bank. Um, I have put a video up on my uh, website uh, showing where Jerusalem is located. It's quite interesting how it is actually in this mountain range, almost like it's protected in a cove, in a sense. It's elevated on top of these mountain ridges, and these mountain ridges provide a barrier between other, a natural barrier between other nations, and that is the West Bank. Um, and this particular video that I have up on on my Facebook page is uh, talking about the defensible borders of Israel. Next week I'll see if I can outline what this uh, video talks about, what are defensible borders. Um, it's quite interesting. So if you don't have a chance to look at it next week, I will actually go into that a little bit and talk about what these actually are. <clears throat> Now, as we study the text carefully, we discover that just as in many other texts, Ammon, Amon, which is Edom, Moab, and Ammon, or Mount Seir, which is in Jordan, are the aggressors who, out of perpetual hate, uh, for example, hate that is taught and perpetuated, cause bloody terrorism against Israel. Ezekiel 35.5 says, Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel for the force, uh, by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in, in the time that their iniquity had an end. Pretty specific on talking about the ter terrorism against Israel. It is important it is important to remember that Mount Seir in Jordan down near Petra was the home of Esau, the brother of Jacob. Esau and his family lived in the barren wasteland while Jacob and his sons lived in the land of milk and honey. A perpetual hate for Jacob ere the promise was passed on from generation to generation as the jealousy of Esau turned to acute resentment. We can be sure that each generation of Edomites heard the story told in anger, bitterness, anger and bitterness, how 
that Jacob stole the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau. It was plainly said that Isaac had tricked and that the land of blessing, for the example, the Holy Land, should by right of birthright belong to Esau and his descendants. Hebrews 2, 15 through 17 states, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance right as the oldest brother. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Hate, resentment, and bitterness always create profane, a profane person. And these attitudes are transferred to many generations of a family. God himself marked Esau as a very profane person. Esau's resistance of the Israelites' possession of the Holy Land began as far back as Moses when he sought to lead Israel into the Promised Land. Their first resistance was Edom, who refused to let them cross. The history of Edom shows them to be very treacherous, quarrelsome people, always ready to throw the Jews out of the land. It was Edom who joined Moab and Ammon the same as Jordan today, to destroy Israel and Jerusalem in Jehoshaphat's day. And it will be in that same place of their destruction that again God will deal with them. And that is in Joel 3, 1 and 2. When Babylon burned Jerusalem, it was Edom who stood close by and cried, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. Psalm 137.7. Joel 3, 1 and 2 says, In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and sold girls for wine and they, that they might drink. In their return from Babylon, the Jews had to continually fight the Edomites while rebuilding the second temple. The Herods were Udumians, Udmians, the Roman name for Edomites. When Titus destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, Josephus recorded that the Edomians were naturally a most barbarous and bloody nation. That was out of the Wars book, chapter 5. Evidently, they are doomed to forever carry that hate, resentment, and bitterness. Ezekiel finds them the same these days of return. In the dealing with the inhabitants of the of the mountains of Israel, or in our terms, the West Bank, he records 
the Lord saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, Edom or Jordan today, because thou hast perpetual hate hatred and shed the blood of children of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity. Now, let's clear up confusion being propagated by the Western press. The hate, which is so evident among the people in the West Bank, is not because of poverty. It is a worn-out old cliche of liberal bias. Nor is it because of oppression, nor is it out of desperation. It cannot be viewed as simply political dissent against an occupying and oppressive state. It is, however, a deep, ingrained hate taught and propagated since Esau hated Jacob for stealing the birthright and the blessing. Trained revolutionary factions today perpetuate hate, even in schools and textbooks, whipping up the youth to a frenzy level. Add to this the religious fervor of clerics of Islam who make the destruction of Israel Allah's priority and promise great bliss to the afterworld if one becomes a martyr. Then add the involvement from rogue regimes which promise a fortune to the family which sacrifices a child to homicide death so that those parents take pride in the child's suicide death and encourages the child to die for the family's sake. And you know, and you now have a perpetuated hate or a perpetual hate. Ezekiel 35 verse 10 points directly to the present situation in Israel and is so accurate that it is startling. At what other time in Jordan's history have the country claimed two countries as its own? Only when Transjordan possessed the mountains of Israel in Israel's war of independence, then decided to annex it and make itself two countries in one, namely the West Bank of Jordan and Jordan proper on the east side of the Jordan. However, they have overlooked one little detail not taking into consideration that the God of Israel was involved and would not tolerate the dividing of the land. So we read, whereas the Lord was there, verse 10 of Ezekiel. In in chapter 36 of, of Ezekiel, God personifies the mountains of Israel or the West Bank in ancient high places. God speaks to them about the enemy, verse 2, and that said, Aha, even the ancient high places are our possession. The Hebrew word for possession here is morsha, which means to receive by inheritance. Wherein is the very crux of the issue in Israel today? Jordan, through its entire Arab world, is claiming the ancient high place, the Temple Mount, as theirs by inheritance. The WAFK, which is W-A-F-K, capital W-A-F-K, of Jordan, oversees the Temple Mount today and will not let a single Jew on the mount. This was highlighted on September of 2001 when Ariel Sharon simply visited the Temple Mount. 
out of rebellion to that single visit by a Jew, the first and only official visit in 2,000 years, Arafat organized the Al-Qasa Martyr Brigade, which has been responsible for scores of suicide or homicide bombings to date. In verse 3 of the same chapter, God accuses the Palestinians that they swallowed you or in the NIV ravaged you and hounded you from every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander. That is precisely the headline news day after day in our current situation. The residue of the heathen in King James in the King James Version or the rest of the nations in NIV describes perfectly the Palestinians today, very few of which are actual residents of the West Bank area, but are from twenty nine different nations who have the backing of the rest of the nations. Again, in verse five, God accuses Udmia or Jordan, because they had appointed my land into their possession. The Amplified Version thus reads thus, giving, given to themselves my land with wholehearted joy and with utmost contempt. Pretty descriptive. <laughs> A perfect depiction of Arafat and his terrorist cohorts can be found in the King James Version, despiteful minds. Now, of course, Arafat is no longer existing, but we have to talk about him in order to understand where we have been in this situation and where it's going. Because it didn't just stop when Arafat died. It has continued, as we can tell. In verse 6, it is made clear that the mountains of Israel and the state of Israel in God's mind are the same. In verse 7, and this is actually in, um, we're talking about the 36th chapter of Ezekiel, as a reminder. Um, in verse 7, God declares that uh, I... At the end, wait a second, I've written this down incorrectly. Okay, in verse 7, it says, Heathen that are about you, they shall bear their shame. From verse 8, God recalls the diaspora and prophesies the future for the West Bank of Judea and Samaria. God will settle you after your old estate, in verse 11. Cities will be inhabited and the wasted shall be built. Verse 10, the West Bank problem will not end until God intervenes and establishes Israel to her ancient rights to the land. Verse 12 declares the day to come when even my people Israel shall possess thee and thou shalt be their inheritance. The old estates established in Joshua's days have been evident since then, being clearly marked by rock walls. Those rock walls can be seen today throughout the West Bank. They are the old estates of Judea and Samaria. Now, I think that we have commented enough on these chapters to sufficiently show that God's word 
or what God's word has to say about the mountains of Israel and the West Bank. Joel chapter 3 confronts the very problems of the West Bank today and brings us dramatically up to the events that are soon to take place in Israel. Here, the specific time for the following events are set. In those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. That's out of Joel chapter 3. This terminology is used specifically for the return of Israel to the land in the last days. That points the text to our very time, amazing times we are living in. From the present conflict, eventually all nations must become involved in certain negotiations, which will be designed to plead with the world's armies. And what is the pleading to accomplish for my people and for my heritage, Israel. And what is the issue prophesied which will bring all nations to negotiations in the Middle East? We are specifically told it's because they have parted my land. This is a direct reference to the partition of the land or the land for peace policies in today's negotiations being forced upon Israel by the UN, the UE, or the EU, and even the United States, in which I am a part of. In Zephaniah 1.14, we find reference to the West Bank. This is mentioned in relationship to the day of the coming of the Lord. It says this, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the Almighty, shall cry there bitterly. We see the, re- the uh, we see that the reset is referring. Uh, I mean, sorry. We see that the rest is referring to the same as Joel three. The text also shows that it is in reference to the return of the Jews in two one and two of Joel. It is also in reference to the day of fierce anger of the Lord, verses fifteen and eighteen of Joel 3. These references also point directly again to Moab and Ammon, Jordan today, and the border problem, chapter uh, 2, verse 8. All of this places it in perfect alignment with today's events. We find mention of the Palestinians in verse 5, the rogue name given to the Holy Land by the Emperor Hadrian in order to wipe out all of the memory of biblical Israel. Gaza and Ashkelon are also mentioned. Both these cities are primarily in the Palestinian cause today. In this reference, let's look at the following. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the reviling of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against the borders. That's out of Zephaniah 2.8. Again, both Moab and Ammon are modern-day Jordan. The Cherethites of verse, uh, verse, uh, let's see, what verse was that? I don't know. I'm misprinting the verse in here. Anyway, the Cherethites would also indicate the area of Jordan 
in as much as, according to the Smith's Bible Dictionary, Cherith is a brook near Beth Shean, just across the Jordan River from Jericho and in the territory of Jordan. Now, we don't need to elaborate again that Jordan created the West Bank problem and is very much involved in the revilings and reproach of the Palestinians against Israel today. And true to this prophecy, they certainly have magnified themselves against the borders of Israel. Now, another clear reference to the parting of the land of Israel in the last days can be found in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 11, 36 through 49. And this, it expounds here upon the Antichrist when he comes to power. His relationship to the land of Israel is clear. He is a hater of the Jews and despises the Abrahamic covenant in verse 30. He takes away the daily sacrifices which will be reestablished on the Temple Mount for a short time during the first part of the tribulation. And in keeping that in mind, um, the Temple needs to be rebuilt. I'm going to be doing a show on uh, the Temple, uh, rebuilding the Temple, the Ezekiel temple, the third temple, and I will be discussing uh, what the plans are that Israel has in store for this. Uh, They are getting ready for this now, and uh, what exactly it means. Will it be on the temple mount? Does it have to be on the temple mount? Can you have the temple mount, the temple and the mosque there, or what will happen? So that's for another show, but In um, verse 41, he shall enter the glorious holy land. The Antichrist is um, going to establish himself there as a seat. Now, in Islam, the eschatology says that the Mahdi will establish himself on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And will rule from the Temple Mount for seven years. And will have a covenant with the people of Israel for that period of time. How odd is that to see that in Islamic eschatology when we find that this is actually a huge problem today. says here in Daniel chapter 11, 36 through 41, it says, The king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be, be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done, neither shall he. He regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor, with gold and silver, and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. 
Um, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Verse 39 records that he will divide the land for gain since his interest is the holy land where will uh, where he will establish his throne. Interesting that the Al-Mahdi or the 12th Imam is going to eventually do this. He will go to he will rise in Mecca, go to Medina, go to Syria and then establish his throne in Jerusalem. That is the goal. Says in Second Thessalonians two four, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God says, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And this is not Antiochus Epiphany, as some believe, because uh, Jesus talked about this particular be, uh, godless. Antichrist coming and Antiochus Epiphany was actually before him. So it can't be can't be him. <clears throat> this probably will be part of the covenant that the Antichrist will confirm in Daniel nine twenty seven, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in that midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of the abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation that the, that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Uh, in Islamic eschatology, or is not in not even in eschatology. But in Islam itself, uh, they believe that uh, they can they they have a they have no qualms for making a commitment and breaking that commitment with someone. Uh, they will make uh, alliances with people and break it. They have a history of doing this with nations. They will lie and deceive for the cause of Islam, and they have done this throughout history. Now, it says that the Al-Mahdi will uh, actually establish himself and break this covenant in Jerusalem. In the middle of this covenant, he will break it with those who are living in Jerusalem. This is in Islamic eschatology. This is not the Bible. The Bible says this too, but Islamic eschatology says this as well in their prophets, in their hadith, and uh, mainly in the hadith, not much in the Quran. Now, a covenant between the UN and Israel and, and agreed to by the world's nations will divide the land, internalize Jerusalem, cutting it in half, Zechariah chapter 12 and 14, and allow both Jews and Arabs rights to the Temple Mount, Revelation 11, 2 says, but the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall then they tread upon underfoot forty and two months. I am persuaded this speaks of the preponderant problem as it is today. Eventually, the portion of the land will still be an issue in the Antichrist day. The final result of this present crisis is seen in Zechariah 14, 9 through 17. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. 
On that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The whole land from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanau to the royal wine presses it will be inhabited never again will it be destroyed Jerusalem will be secure this is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet their eyes will not will rot in their sockets and their tongues will not will rot in their th- mouth on that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. And Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. Now, a covenant of peace will follow mass destruction in the Middle East. The land will be partitioned into a Palestinian state with Jerusalem being divided Zechariah 14.2 says, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the house rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And for a short three and a half years, it will seem... Uh, there will seem some relief has come to the war-torn Middle East. However, the internationalization and internationalizing of Jerusalem and the com- compromising of the Temple Mount will only lead to the European kings of the Temple Mount will only lead to the European kings of the Temple Mount. Um, its boldness to set himself up as God. Now, I. European king, let me explain that. It would it may be established or agreed upon uh you know, uh like Britain has actually established um Israel as a state, so it might be uh the UN who 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 might be part of this, who knows? But it might not. The Mahdi is actually gonna be coming from Saudi Arabia, so there's there's, you know, a debate about whether or not uh, what what it means by European um, kings of the temple. Thessalonians two seven says, "For the mystery of iniquity doth already work; only he who know, now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way." A new onslaught against Israel will bring the Lord's direct in. Intervention in Zechariah 14.4, it says, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem and the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave to the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall uh, remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. The battle of Armageddon and and the beast and his antichrist will be destroyed. 
<clears throat> Earlier, we referred to questions that so plagued the Palestinian-Israeli issue today. Why is there such rancor, malice, and bitterness in the hearts of the Palestinian people? Why can the why can the world's finest diplomats find no rational solution? This haste persists even though it threatens total holocaust of the entire world. Western media and those sympathetic to the Palestinian cause promote every excuse. One of the prime excuses for suicide homicide is the hopelessness of the financial and social despair that these people are in because of the Israeli oppression. In fact, it is not the Israeli people that put them in such such shape, but their own leaders. These people came from 29 different Muslim countries, each one every bit as oppressive as the Palestinian area. Uh, This is why they came to Israel. In the first place, it was to take advantage of the job market that Israeli industry was providing. They were put to work by thousands until terrorism forced the closure of the borders of the West Bank, making it impossible to enter Israel and to get their job sites, get to their job sites. We see that a lot uh, with uh, the walls and back about 10, 15 years ago where there is a lot of uh, blocking of the people going to work. If terror would cease, the job marker would open up uh, to them again. That is, what is it then that causes millions to come to Israel and America seeking prosperity and then inspires them to destroy the very people who feed them? I am prepared to give that answer. And in referring to Hebrews 12:14 through 16, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bit of root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral and godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance right of the oldest son. I am repeating this because this is very important. We find this answer. It is in this particular scripture we find this answer. In this text, we are told to work for peace with all people. America is seeking at its own peril to obey the commandment. We support all peace efforts by our government in the war against terrorism. Howbeit, we are not encouraged by the prospects of peace. Then Paul exhorts us to look diligently, to, to see to it, give careful and painstaking care, lest bitterness springing up defile many. For an, for an example of this kind of rancor, rancor of bitterness, Paul refers to Esau, that profane person who traded his birthright for a morsel of meat and then hated his brother and family for it. Even though Isaac... And the Lord would have shown no favoritism, and Isaac blessed both Esau and Jacob. Hebrews 11.20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. And even though Esau did not receive the portion of the firstborn of the inheritance of Isaac, still he allowed unforgiveness to fill his soul with malevolence and hostility and finally malice against Jacob and the covenant promise. 
Esau's hate became so deep that he was not able to stop its malicious, bitter rancor against his brother. He knew it was wrong just as those today know it's wrong. He allowed his soul to get warped with the hate that even when he tried to repent and cried out to God with tears, he could not find any real repentance because he could not or would not forgive. We fear the tears were not sincere, but tears of self-pity. In his deep hate, he promoted to his family ill feelings against Jews. That hate has been propagated in the hearts of the Edomites ever since. They have joined a like hate, also propagated among the family of another, of Abraham's son, Ishmael, father of the Arabs, who himself found equal and similar reasons to hate the family of Isaac. From this, a whole society of people have been impregnated with a deep and perpetual hate for the Jew. As Paul warned, the root of bitterness bringing up has and is defiling many today. This can be seen easily when we realize that Esau is Edom and Mount Seir of the Bible, and therefore all the Jordanian people of today, that's who they are. Also, remember it, it was Jordan that created the West Bank problem, and it is the Jordanian Palestinians who are showing such hate and rancor against sons of Jacob today. So we ask, we say, no wonder when God, through the prophet Ezekiel, reveals to us this West Bank problem, which would plague Israel in the latter day, return that he would finger uh, Mount Seir, which is modern-day Jordan, Ezekiel 35.2. It is the same old hate which Ezekiel also spoke about in chapter 25, verse 15. Here in union with the Ammonites, verse 1, and Edom, verse 14, and joined by the Philistines, present-day Gaza, they exercise spite against the land of Israel, verse 6, and devile the sanctuary, verse 3, and take vengeance with a spiteful heart. All of this is because of an old hatred, the old hatred of Esau and Ishmael. As far as, uh, as can be ascertained, the Philistines disappeared as a people by that name. At least they were never mentioned again as a threat to Israel after the Assyrian invasion. The prophecy in Ezekiel 25 is surely a latter-day prophecy, as Ezekiel prophesied no later than the captivity that was brought on by Nebuchadnezzar during the return from Babylon. It is interesting that the Philistine would be mentioned since it is their namesake people that are defying God's plan in the land of Israel today. <clears throat> Now, as a spiritual lesson to us, consider this ancient, ancient hate that, that has caused constant turmoil in the Middle East for 4,000 years. Consider, too, how much they, you know, that may be going on in our own lives and in some of our churches. So, but see, we, this hate in um, this area is uh, propagated by the old hate of 4,000 years, and it, it is devastating. But this is my take, and 
you know, from the with the help of Robert Smith in his book Jerusalem, rushing uh, toward the midnight hour, is excellent um, insight into uh, the Palestinian problem of today. Now, next week, I am going to go into the actual vote that is going to take place in the UN. We're going to talk about that. Maybe I can get my calling or my caller system working right. I I don't understand why I couldn't pick it up, Uh, but hopefully we can have actually a discussion about uh, the Palestinian problem and what is happening in the UN and um, give some details about that. and also what is actually being put on the table right now, what is being talked about, what are opinions of uh, different nations that are being in, uh, that are involved in this, and so forth. I want to thank you for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, this two-hour increment of time. I know it's a long period of time, but I thank you for honoring me by taking this time even with some of the disruption I had from my dog kids. (laughs) But I just thank you for giving me this opportunity to share some things with you, and I hope that it has enlightened you somewhat in this situation regarding Jerusalem dividing the land. Next week, I will continue with part two. And I look forward to that. If you want to contact me, you can contact me at, at as the day approaches at bb uh, mediacom bb dot net, um, and you can also find me on Facebook, Brenda Johnson. Also, I have a false teachings identifying them site where we actually, we discuss certain topics. It's quite interesting because. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, people will discuss all kinds of issues and you have to kind of discern and weed out what is actually true and what is actually just uh, dogmatic or doctrine or false. Uh, so it is an interesting um, group on Facebook. I also have a website called As the Day Approaches and you can get all my shows on this site. It's uh, under construction So I appreciate your time, and I pray that God will bless you and uh, give you a, a great week until we see each other again. God bless.